Many of you know Mike. Uh, he's an uh, outreach pastor here. He's going to bring the word today. So, ah, let there be light. Um, I just want to pray after what just happened for, uh, for everybody that, that got prayer. And maybe you didn't get prayer and you needed healing. You know what? Jesus can still heal you even though you didn't come to get prayer. So, God, I just thank you, God, that <laughs> Jesus, that you love us enough to allow us to come to this place, Lord, to receive healing. So I just pray for every person, uh, Lord, that came for prayer. We just plead the blood of Jesus over that healing, that Satan, you cannot steal what was done this morning. You cannot take what what happened. Uh, So I just pray for each person's mind and body, that their mind would continue uh, putting their thoughts on you, Jesus, and knowing that your goodness uh, to heal us is continually available to us. Yeah. And so we we just seal those healings, everything that happened in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the kids can go. Do what? K through four, if you don't know. I didn't know. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a pleasure to, to be here this morning. It's so good to be back here. This weekend was phenomenal, even though I missed the fire tunnel. I got to my mom and dad's house to get my kids, and I had a text message on my phone from Tina that said, You're missing the fire tunnel. Thanks for spoiling it. She's gone, so I can say whatever I want. Um, So I'm going to read what will sound like a familiar passage to everybody, because John read it last week. Um, But I saw something whenever he read that last week, and then whenever my wife, at the end of the service, got up and spoke about Mephibosheth, that I had never seen uh, in in this before, and it brought to mind that there was another occurrence very similar to the, the one in Acts 3. So it's going to be Acts 3, 4 through 6. Don, you're going to have fun. I have 15 verses in different... No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, Acts 3, uh, 4 through 6. And so this is the story that where uh, Peter and John are going to the synagogue and they go to the through the, the, the gate that was the beautiful gate, and the uh, crippled man is laying there. And so I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold or dimes, but I'll give you what I have In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. And you go over to Acts 14. I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. And a similar occurrence happened. I'll give you a second to get there. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. Same thing. He had been that way from birth. So he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called 
to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you speak clearly through me, but to me and to each one of us through it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as I read those, well, actually as John read it, that little three words really jumped out to me. The look at me. That whenever he said, he said, look at me. And, and I, I picture what it would look like for them to be walking, you know, and this crippled man. And everybody just passes him by and probably throws some, some money at him. And, um, and he, he, in my mind, I imagine that this man's probably sitting right at the gate, sitting there. And what would your posture be if you were crippled sitting at a gate begging for money all day? You would, you would probably have your head hung as low as it could be hung. You would probably know every person that went in to the synagogue on a daily basis by the way their feet looked. But I had no idea what they looked like in their face. And Peter said something to him that I'm sure nobody had probably ever said before because they didn't look at him as somebody that they wanted to look at in the face. Because they just wanted to throw some money at him and allow him to stay there in his crippled state. But that wasn't what, Peter didn't have anything else to offer. He didn't have the money to give him. But he did have something, and that was Jesus. That was healing. And so he did something that probably nobody had ever done to this man. And he said, look at me. There was power in the words that Peter used whenever he said, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. But there was tremendous power in the fact that he had the man look him in the face before he ever said anything. The same way with Paul and Barnabas. Paul said, did the same thing. He looked at the guy in the eyes before he said or thought anything. That is something in our world today, I'm pretty sure everybody in here can attest to, that we have almost completely lost. Is the fact of looking people in the eye when we speak to them. I don't know about you, but it really like jumped off the cliff whenever the government told us we had to wear masks. We didn't cover our eyes up, we covered our mouths up and our noses. Well, not most noses, but. Um, but it like made us completely not want to look at each other in the face at all. It created this, it conditioned us even further to not look at people in the eye whenever we talk to them. Now, is it uncomfortable to look at somebody in the eye when you talk to them? Well, depending on what you talk about, right? But, you know, if I just walked up to somebody and locked eyes with them and just stared at them, before long they're going to go, so they're not looking at me either, right? Because why? Well, our eyes are the window to our soul, right? And so we see things in people when we make eye contact with them that we cannot read in body language, that we can't even get out of speaking to somebody. So I love whenever people come up for prayer, 
I always do that. I look them in the eye and I say, what do you want? Because you can tell real fast if they're telling you the truth or not. I, I, I also, actually this morning, uh, on my way to Shiloh, um, I, I had that revelation of that these, these men, I'm sure, could tell who every person was by their feet and not by their face. How many in here could say, you don't have to raise your hand, but could say that you know Jesus more by his feet than by his face? That when we approach Jesus, where is, where is our head? What are we looking at? Are we hanging our head because we're full of shame and guilt and we see his feet? Or do we understand that what he did for us does away with everything that is inside of us that keeps us from him and we get to look at his face? He, actually, that's where he wants us looking. He wants us locking eyes with him and, and focusing on his face rather than walking to him with our, our head hung and looking at his feet. Does that mean we don't need to sit at his feet? No, that means we need to sit at his feet and look at his face. That needs to be the focus of what we look at, what we see. And so... <clears throat> And noticing that, I thought, okay, well, I need to figure out what, what is it? What, what is this, the, the, the power behind looking somebody in the eyes when you talk to them? Or just staring at somebody in the eyes, period. Does, there, there, there is an interaction that happens with no words or anything else when you just look somebody in the eyes. Would everybody agree with that? And it is much more powerful than anything that can be said. So I looked up just, I read a couple of articles about it. And, and they have done, you know, science does lots of studies and things. And, and on infants. And there is a time of like distress in infants when they're born. And uh, on almost every case that I looked at, that distress went away at the moment that they, they locked eyes with their caregiver. And then I started thinking, like whenever I, my kids were born, like at what point did they go from flailing and screaming and, you know, the, the, the distress of, of the uh, trauma of the birthing process to being calm was as soon as they would lay them in Amanda's arms and she could look at their face and they could look at hers. It's like this peace, this calm that happened. And then I think about other significant times in our lives of very uh, impactful times that you look in somebody's eyes. Now, I remember the first time uh, you know, whenever I met Amanda, she's not here, so I'm going to talk about her a lot today. Um, I, I, she worked at Jerry's IGA right down here in high school. That's okay. She won't watch it. Um, <laughs> she listens to me enough on a daily basis. She's not going to put forth an effort to go back and listen to me more. Um, anyway, 
she worked at, at Jerry's IGA, and I can remember going in there all the time, and I would see her, and uh, I actually, I, she worked at the cigarette counter, so I bought my snuff from her, and, um, which I quit a long time ago. I decided I want my kids to do it, so I needed to stop. And um, anyway, and I noticed her, and, but I don't know if she ever noticed me or not, but I can remember that the first time that I uh, saw her outside of that, and I really looked in her eyes and locked eyes with her, I knew at that moment, this is the woman that I'm going to marry. That something happens when we do that. And our world is pushing us more and more to go away from that type of interaction with other people, so it creates a disconnect. I don't know about you, but you could probably lock eyes with people on FaceTime forever, and you never get the same interaction that happens. As a face-to-face conversation or anything with people. And so even this week, I started paying attention to, to whenever I would talk to people. Am I really looking at them? Am, am, I, am I making eye contact with them as I speak to them? Or am I noticing that I'm looking off at other things while I'm doing it? Or does it look like I'm making eye contact with you, but I'm actually just looking right past you? And I was astounded at the amount of conversation I had with people that I never really had eye contact with them. And that we can live our life with this super shallow relationship with people if we don't do that. If I can't look you in the eye, if I can't have a conversation with you, locking eyes with you, how am I going to approach Jesus and expect to be able to do that with him? He knows everything about me. You only know what I tell you. You only see, usually we only see the good in each other, unless we spend a lot of time with each other. And so, if we can't do that with each other, how do we expect to be able to do that in the presence of the king of the universe? Of the one that created everything? Of the one that died for us, that knows everything about us? I think that's a super important thing as believers that we're able to do is that whenever we have conversations with people that we do it first saying God if this person needs something reveal that to me I'm going to be willing Lord to have a conversation with them looking them in the eye so that I know is there some kind of crippledness that they have that they need healing from that all I need to do is look them in the eye and then and then use those powerful words that in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, be healed, be delivered, be freed, whatever it is, whatever the thing in their life is that they need Jesus to meet them in, am I willing to be that vessel that is going to do the uncomfortable thing, look them in the eyes and give them those words? As the priests that we are, we should all be willing to do that. Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Is it vitally needed in the time that we live in? Even more absolutely. 
So I'm going to read a little bit of, of what Amanda shared last week. Because I think it tied in perfectly. And that's in 2 Samuel 9. <clears throat> I'm only going to read the very first part. But this is the story of what happened to bring Mephibosheth to, uh, the, to, to David. And so uh, 2 Samuel 9, 1 through 4. It says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who was one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, and this, this is the, the, the part that got me in this. Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. And Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makur, son of Emil. He didn't even tell him his name. He was described by what was wrong with him. He later on finds out that this person that he's seeking after, his name is Mephibosheth. But the way that he was described to David was only by the issue that he had. That was it. It didn't go any further than that until more questions were asked. The most beautiful part of that story to me, because this is, this. if, if you want to know the story of, of humanity being reconciled to, to God, this to me is the best example of that story. Because every one of us is Mephibosheth in some way in our life. And every one of us gets called to the king's table to eat with him on a daily basis for the rest of eternity. And that's what this story is. But the way that Mephibosheth responds to David when he gets in his presence is what breaks me every time. Because you can just in the words kind of read what his, his mannerisms or his posture were. I'm sure what happened was that whenever... Mephibosheth made it to, to the, the palace. They carried him in because he was crippled, sat him before the king. And I imagine even though Mephibosheth knew that he was in the lineage of Saul, which was a king, he still thought of himself as nothing because society looked at him as less because of what was wrong. And so I imagine him sitting in the floor, David being right in front of him and him having his head hung as David spoke to him and said, I want to show kindness on you because you're one of, one of Jonathan's, or one of Saul's descendants. And Mephibosheth said, why would you show kindness to a dead dog like me? That was his response. And so it doesn't say any of this. I just have a good imagination and in the, when I read the Bible, I guess, because I imagine what happened next was that it, who in here would say that they've approached God with that mentality of why would you show me, a dead dog like me, any kindness? Why would you have anything to do with me? Like I'm the worst of, of the worst. And I imagine David walked over to Mephibosheth and did exactly the same thing as what Peter and Paul did. 
But I imagine that David grabbed his face and pulled it up and said, look at me. I'm going to show kindness to you, not because of what you look like or not because of what your problems are. I'm going to show kindness to you because of who you are. You are royalty. Even though your entire life you've been treated as nothing, you are royalty. So look at me. I want you to sit at my table and eat with me for the rest of your life. What an amazing thing. What's the biggest difference in those stories? Because that's exactly what happened whenever Paul and Peter allowed those men, you know, spoke in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. What that did to them was allow them to know they now have a place with Jesus because he healed them. Mephibosheth never got healed, but he sat regularly at the king's table. It doesn't matter what our, our, uh, uh, our ailment is. It doesn't matter what our brokenness is. Whether we're healed and we get to live the rest of our life in that uh, place of knowing who we are in Jesus or whether we stay uh, unhealed, broken, whatever, we still get to sit at the same table. That doesn't define who Jesus is. I'm going to read one or two more verses. In Psalm 121, everybody knows this. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. It doesn't say look down in the valleys. No, he says look up. Look up. Don't, don't focus on our problems here. Look up. Now, I, in my life now, one of my favorite things to do is worship. Don't sit too close to me because you'll hear me and, and you won't think it's worship. Um, but it, it, it's something that uh, happened, actually, when we were in the old building. I'll never forget. I, I used to sit in church and and during worship, I loved the music, you know, but I didn't feel very free to just worship however I wanted to. But I always saw this guy that, that he was on the, on, the, on the upper thing, the, the pulpit on the, the left side if you were sitting out there. And he always stood there with his head like this, the biggest smile on his face, and his hands open the entire time. Pastor Craig, every song, that's what he did. And I always thought, God, how, does, how can he do that? Like, I've had a terrible week. I don't feel like I'm in a place to do that. And he said, because he sees my face. The point of him doing that is to look at my face. And I always looked at worship as something that I was doing for God. And it's not. It's the invitation of him to us to worship him. It's nothing that, that really that we bring. It's the joy of knowing he allows us to stand in a place to look into his face. And so now I generally all the time worship with a huge smile on my face because I know what, who, and why I'm worshiping. So you might say, 
this is great. Like the, the, all of these situations where God look at, were, were God allowing, using people to have somebody to look at them for healing to happen or deliverance to happen. So <clears throat> there's one, one other case, and, and I just happened to run across this because I went to Acts 13 instead of 14 looking for that story. So Acts 13, 9 through 12 is another story of Paul, but it's a completely different thing, but also uses the same method of looking at somebody in the eye. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he, locked, uh, he looked at the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of defeat and fraud, and an enemy of all that is good. Will you ever stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind, and you will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. So in which circumstance do you think it was harder to look the person in the eye? The circumstance of looking at them and saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk? Or the circumstance of looking the sorcerer in the eye and saying, you full of deceit, God's going to make you blind. Well, I'm going to guess, in my case, I would say the second would be a little more frightening. But we're both very needed, absolutely. So as believers, we have to be able to approach both situations with the same kind of boldness, with the same kind um, of care towards the person, because what happened to the sorcerer needed to happen just as much as the crippled man. That he needed to experience the power of God just like they did. And I, I, I think of the, the, the one case I can remember of uh, somebody frightening me with staring in, but he didn't even stare in my eyes. Like I, I would close my eyes if he would have looked at me. It was when David Hogan came. Like... Like, I don't know if, if you all weren't here for that. That was, a, that was a, an amazingly frightening night. Um, but he would. He just, uh, I'll never forget, we were in the Joel Evans Center, and he was preaching, and somebody, you know, I guess was probably rolling their eyes or something about three-quarters of the way back in the thing because he just locked eyes with them and started walking towards them. Never, never took his eyes off of them. Look at him in the eye and he said, I know what you're thinking. And the religion in you doesn't scare me. The God in me is bigger than the religion in you. And I thought, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> but he would. He would just lock eyes with him and would just walk straight towards him. But I also at the same time thought, God, could I be like that? Could you show me things like that? And would I be bold and brave enough to approach somebody and say that? Because that person then faced one of two things to happen. 
They could get up and leave, which I believe that's what happened. Or they could have got delivered that night. I truly believe that if that, that, that we hold tremendous power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, but if we're too timid to look somebody in the eye and allow God to show us something about them and then to speak the truth that they need to hear, whichever the truth is, if they need healing or deliverance or freedom, whatever the case may be in their life that they need, as believers, we, we need to be willing to do that. As uncomfortable as that might be, as frightening as that might be, God wants to use us to do that. God wants to use us for people to experience him in a way that they never have. In a, in a way that they desperately need. And maybe have needed for years and years and years. And nobody's been willing to be the one to look them in the eye and say, In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Who does he want for that? Us. Every one of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can do it. I can do it. I also believe that God has called us to live in that place of authority. Right? Well, I mean, I believe the Bible says... That we'll do the same things Jesus did and greater things, right? Right? Like, who in here can say, I've done the same things Jesus did? All of them. I better put my hand down. None of us. Why? Because we're attached to this flesh that fights against us. And so often, who wins? The flesh. But if we know, if we have the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, moving through us, guiding us where to go, and we decide to live with a consciousness of knowing that every day could be a day of encounter like uh, Paul and Peter both had, we would go throughout our day with a, a different mentality than let's get through today so I can go to sleep and get through tomorrow, right? So I just want to encourage everybody. Pay attention to that when you're having conversations with people. Do you look people in the eye? Are you intentional about allowing God to, to use somebody else's eyes to allow you to minister to them. It is uncomfortable. Like, I don't know if anybody in here could say that, that it's comfortable, but it is one of the most uncomfortable things to just, you know, just to look at somebody and stare them in the eye. I don't care who it is. There's some people in here that would be far more intimidating than others as well. But it's okay. God never called us to live an easy, cushy life that has no uh, uncomfortableness uh, or no uh, sense of even having, uh, being afraid of what might happen. Should we have fear? 
in the situation? No. But I don't know about you, but I've been put in plenty of situations in ministry that I've been afraid. Like, okay, something bad could actually happen whenever I, you know, go through with this. But that's okay. That makes us rely on him instead of ourself. And so I want to encourage everybody to, to pay attention to that, to start doing that, to make it intentional in your life to when you speak to people, speak to them, all right, not at them. I've had that problem in my marriage so often that I've spoke at my wife and not to her. And that is one of the biggest differences is that are you looking at the person? Are you speaking to the person? Or are you just putting words out there that are going at them? And the other thing that I want to encourage you is allow your relationship with Jesus to be more about his face than his feet. When you approach him, look at his face. He wants you to. That's his desire for us is for that to happen. I know I'll tell the story about Owen. Owen is my strong-willed, like, when he wants something done, he wants it done, then. And so when he was younger, like five, six years old, four, something like that, it was for several years also. But if I was doing anything else and he talked to me and I was not looking right at him, I was not listening to him in his mind. And so he would say things to me and I would say, okay, I heard you. And he would say it again, and I would say, okay. And then he would come, and he would grab my face and pull it. So I, and he would be like right here, and he would say it. And I would say, son, I heard you the first time. And he's like, okay, but you weren't looking at me. So in his mind, it was just going through the air, and I wasn't actually listening. So when people are talking to you, especially if it's somebody God's put in your life to minister to, listen to them. Look at them. Be intentional about, about them knowing they're important enough for your time and your attention to be focused on them. So, I think uh, if, uh, I don't know what the prayer time needs to be today, but uh, I would love to just open it up to anybody that that you feel like that you maybe you're timid or maybe you have fear to be able to do that maybe that's something that terrifies you like I can't even look at my own eyes in the mirror how am I supposed to look into somebody else's eyes whenever I talk to them I would like to to open the altar to that first that if you have freedom from that type of thing of uh you know what I'm sure I could ask, and most, the majority of people in here, you would say, I am very non-confrontational. I don't like conflict. It's okay to not like it, but you still have to deal with it, okay? And so if you have like this tremendous fear of having honest conversations with people and allowing the Lord to use you in those conversations for, for people to experience freedom... I think I would like to pray for you about that. Like if you live a life that you're like, I am super timid. Like I, 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 can't, I can't talk to people about those things because it's too hard or, or who am I to do it? Now, that used to be me. I remember 
I had to write out the verse that God has not given me a spirit of, of timidity. And I had to read it over and over and over and over and over for years. Because I was so afraid of what somebody might think of me whenever I stepped out to do something for God that they would think I was weird or strange or it's okay, I'm weird and strange, it's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what, you are too. We all are in our own way and it's okay. But that doesn't need to cripple us to the point that we don't operate the way that God wants us to. And so if, if you want freedom from that, if you want to say, God, I, I want you to give me the boldness to move when you ask me to move and the, the boldness to look at somebody when I talk to them and to have real honest conversation with people and not be afraid of what they think or say. And I want to see you, God. I want to see you do things like that. To look at me in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk and see him operate in your life that way. Uh, that's what I want to open the altar for today. And so Mike is going to play some music for us. And anybody that wants to, to minister, um, please come forward. And, uh, and if you need healing of anything else, if you missed the opportunity earlier to receive healing, uh, there is always time for that. So Jesus, we love you. <laughs> Yeah, we love you. We enjoy you, Lord. We enjoy your presence. We enjoy the fact that even as broken and fallen as we are, your desire is for us to gaze upon your face. To look at you, Jesus. To, to see the joy that you have for us as well. And so, Lord, I, I just pray if anybody's in here, uh, Lord, and they deal with fear or timidity, God, that you let a boldness rise up in them enough, uh, Lord, to come and allow you uh, to free them from that. That they would walk in boldness. That they would operate in the spirit that you've called them to operate in. And that in all of us, you would continue to work that out of us. There are still plenty of situations that no matter how bold you are, is still scary to walk into. And so, Lord, I just pray for freedom to be uh, released into each person that faces that guy. And that you would give us the consciousness, Lord, to, to have honest conversation, to look people in the eyes and allow them to, to see the same thing in us that we're looking for in them, Lord. That the power uh, of your Holy Spirit would would operate even in those times that we don't say anything, God. In Jesus' name, the altar's open.